If you would be opening your Bibles to 1 Peter, and we'll be reading there in just a moment, moment, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. In this letter, Peter the Apostle of Jesus Christ is writing to pilgrims of the dispersion, and these are people who, Christians, who have a precious faith, one that will be rewarded one day, but they're being tried by many various trials that are the testing of their faith. And he reminds them in the meantime how they must live and the things that they need to do to remain faithful that they might be victorious in the end. In chapter 1 and verse 13, he says, Therefore gird up the loins of your mind and uh, be sober and rest your hope fully upon the hope uh, or upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In verse 14, he talks about being obedient children and calls them to holiness. Talks about conducting the time of their sojourning here in fear. Remember the redemption price, and that is the blood of Jesus, the precious blood of Jesus. Love one another fervently, he says then, with your brethren. And then he talks, beginning in chapter 2, about being devoted to spiritual growth. Offering up spiritual sacrifices as priest, as a priesthood of God. Woven throughout this letter is uh, instruction to be the new man in Christ and to resist the devil and remain steadfast in the faith. And in, within that, then, I want us to read chapter 2 and verses 11 and 12 and make some points from here. He says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. The instruction here in verse 11 is to abstain from fleshly lusts. The word abstain has the idea of holding oneself from, to keep from, to withhold oneself from participation in some things. By fleshly lusts, he's talking about strong desires for what is against the will of God, the carnal and worldly appetites. In 1 John chapter 2 and verses 15 and through 17, the apostle writes, "Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away." and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. These are the kinds of lusts I believe he's speaking of. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Lust of the flesh, those things socially, sexually, things that appeal to the flesh, the lust of the eyes, covetousness, materialism, the pride of life, age, experience, ancestry, past accomplishments, what people think of me, that kind of thing. Abstain from fleshly lust, Peter says back there in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11. He gives in this context three reasons for abstaining from fleshly lust in verses 11 and 12. And that's what I'd like us to think about this morning. First, he says, as sojourners and pilgrims. That's reason number one, we ought to abstain from fleshly lust. Secondly, he says, they war against the soul. 
because of what they do then, we need to abstain from them. And thirdly, because of what abstaining from them and thus having honorable conduct with good works accomplishes for the will of God. First of all, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. He says, as sojourners and pilgrims. What do sojourners and pilgrims have to do with this? Already in chapter 1 and verse 1, he's talked to them as pilgrims. In chapter 1 and verse 17, he's talked to them as sojourners. The definitions of those words are very close and difficult to divide. Um, depending on your translation, sometimes one is translated one way and one another. But according to one expository dictionary, a sojourner is one who comes in to dwell beside or among, to dwell in a place as a stranger. He lives in a place without the right of citizenship. He's not home, nor is he at home where he is. He's in a place temporarily. He's a foreigner, a visitor who tarries for a time in a foreign country, not permanently settling in it. Now this is what Peter says by his grace of the Holy Spirit that you and I are. Is that we're sojourners. Number two, he says as sojourners and pilgrims. He's writing to the pilgrims of the dispersion here in chapter 1 and 1. Thayer says in his expository dictionary, one who comes from a foreign country into a city or a land to reside there by the side of the natives. Hence a stranger, sojourning in a strange place, a foreigner. Metaphorically, in reference to heaven as our native country, one who sojourns, so of Christians, he goes on and says. And so the idea is that we're not among our own people. Oh, we're among our own people here in this building today. I'm thankful to be among every one of you this morning. We're not among our own people, though, in this world, and thus we're stranger. Sojourners, though, sometimes I knew of a, a group of people that back, well, I don't know, I think they traveled all over the country and they called themselves sojourners. And they were moving about and traveling. Uh, they were on a mission, though, but sojourning can conjure up the idea of just kind of moving from place to place and maybe just wandering or floundering. But it's not that at all. Sojourners are on a mission. Sojourners have a mission in mind. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verses 13 through 16, speaking of those who died in faith, the Hebrew writer says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. And of course, this applies to Abraham, for example. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to call, be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. Sojourners then, we as Christians who are sojourners are on a mission. 
but we have in mind a heavenly home. We are citizens then of another country. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20, and Philippians 3 and 20, our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a very precious thing to have citizenship in the United States of America. And at least used to, people who wanted to come to this country, it came by much difficulty. And when they came, they were awfully proud of becoming a, a citizen. Can you think about heaven in that way? That we ought to be so wanting and so proud and thankful that we can be called citizens of heaven? Citizens of a heavenly kingdom? I'm thankful to be one of this country, but there's something so much greater. We're citizens <coughs> of heaven. That's where our King, that's where our King and our Head and our Lord is. Our God and Father are. It's where our treasure is. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19, in Matthew 6 and 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you're like me, sometimes you wonder where your heart is in something. You have this phrase we say sometimes, well, is your heart in it? Is your heart in what you're doing? And sometimes, you know, the, the heart is deceitful above all things. And sometimes it is difficult to look within ourselves and divide it out and try to understand sometimes what we're thinking and our motives and the things that are moving us. But here Jesus gives a test. If you want to know where your heart is, if that's a difficult thing to answer just like that, then you stop and think, what are you treasuring? Because that's where your heart is. That's a little easier for me to answer than to say, well, I wonder what's in my heart. And I'm trying to sort through all these thoughts. And well, Now I start asking myself, where am I devoting my energy and my time and my concern and all of this? That's where my treasure is. Then that's where my heart is. Our heart then, our treasure then, is supposed to be in heaven. But regarding heaven for us, not only is our King in our head and our Lord there, and God, our Father, and our treasure, but our affections are there. We have many affections, and I know the word can be used lightly and heavily, but our affections are the things that we just so strongly desire wouldn't want to be without. Our affections are to be in heaven. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 2. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Verse 1. Our hope is there. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 5. Because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven of which you heard before the word of the truth of the gospel. Our hope is there. 
and many righteous dead are destined for there. I believe they're in the Hadean realm now. <coughs> but they're destined for there. And that's where we want to be. All men of faith, haven't they needed to be this way? To recognize their citizenship is not on this earth, but in heaven. We read in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 13 through 16, but also in Psalm 39 and verse 12. Here's David writing, Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Do not be silent at my tears, for I'm a stranger with you, a sojourner, as all my fathers were. That's a lot of generations. As all my fathers were. Lot, do you remember him? How in Genesis 19 they came and they said, You came in to sojourn among us. And now you start acting like a judge. They knew he didn't belong there. He was different. Strangers and pilgrims should remember their distant home and not follow the practices of the strange land in which they sojourn. Can I say that again? Strangers and pilgrims should remember their distant home and not follow the practices of the strange land in which they sojourn. <coughs> We're like colonists with just a mother country though in heaven. If our hearts long after the world and the things of the world, then are we really living as aliens and strangers, sojourners and pilgrims? When our citizenship is elsewhere, we belong to a city that has no foundations. Our house sits upon a foundation. Some don't, but ours does. But that foundation will be burned up one day. But we're talking about a city that has no foundations. If we're aliens, then of course we'll keep in mind not to love the world as we read in 1 John chapter 2, 15-17. There's an interesting thing that Haman said in Esther chapter 3 um, and verse 8. And this is in the days of the Persian king and the Jews were there under their authority. And Haman was put under the king. The king put him under his authority. And we'll read there in chapter 3 you might recall from the story that a law was made and people needed to needed to bow and pay homage to Haman. Verse 2. And the king's servants who were with the king's gate, within the king's gate, said to Mordecai, Why do you transgress the king's command? He wouldn't bow down and worship and pay him homage. That alone belongs to God. In verse 4, now it happened when they spoke to him daily and he would not listen to them, that they told it to Haman to see whether Mordecai's words would stand. For Mordecai had told them that he was a Jew. There was a higher law. He operated under the law of Moses. When Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow or pay him homage, Haman was filled with wrath. But he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had told him of the people of Mordecai. Instead, 
Haman sought to destroy all the Jews who were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus, the people of Mordecai. In the first month, which is the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, they cast per, that is the lot, for, before Haman to determine the day and the month until it fell in the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar. Then Haman said to King Ahasuerus, this is a, There is a certain people scattered and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from all other peoples. And they do not keep the king's laws. Therefore it is not fitting for the king to let them remain. You see there that Haman recognizes that they are a people scattered and dispersed among us. They're strangers and sojourners and pilgrims among us. But that's not all. Their laws are different. They're different from other people's laws. And they do not keep the king's laws. It's not fitting for them to remain. Does that not define for us this idea that we're under a different law? I don't go away thinking I'm suggesting to disobey the laws of the land. But we have a higher law. As sojourners and pilgrims, we have a law. I know the law of God applies to every man, but not all are subjecting themselves to it. We're pilgrims and sojourners with a different law. Have you adapted to the order of cultural norms and society? We have to ask ourselves that. Do we weigh what we do with the laws of God? We could ask ourselves, do we feel quite at home in this world? It would be hard to say that now, wouldn't it? Do we feel quite at home here? We might ask someone if they, in a literal way, had moved from one country to another, and they've lived there a while. You might ask, well, have you lost your nationality? You know, I know that you're, uh, I don't know, uh, Filipino, but you know, you've been here for 30 years. How long have you been here? What's your nationality? I mean spiritually. We can't lose our nationality spiritually. Abstain from fleshly lusts because you're a sojourner and a pilgrim. In other words, it's not fitting. It's not becoming for a sojourner or a pilgrim or a stranger to adopt the fleshly lusts of the world in which we live. We're a dispersed people. Dispersed, that means spread out, spread abroad, among people who aren't our own people, who aren't our own spiritual kinsmen. They may be kinsmen in the flesh, but not spiritually. The men, women, and children with whom we associate, can learn something about the gospel by the way we behave as pilgrims and sojourners. We need to speak and act as the dispersed pilgrims and sojourners who operate by different laws.
the law of God. Therefore abstain from fleshly lusts because you are a sojourner and a pilgrim. It's not fitting, it's not becoming for you to adopt the ways of the world. As a pilgrim and sojourner, we're concerned. We have many blessings that have been showered upon us. While others may be interested in what they can get out of it, and that's all they're interested in, we're interested in how we can serve and share with them. We're more concerned about obtaining a working knowledge of the Word of God so that we can be a workman who needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of Truth instead of having greater concern over the knowledge of this world. We have more concern with assembling as a church and participating in the studies that we might endeavor to keep the unity of spirit and the bond of peace rather than other things that could take us away from that in the world. Whether it be work, even family activities, community. Where are our affections as pilgrims and sojourners? As pilgrims and sojourners, we want to abstain from fleshly lust. And that brings us to the second point here, and that is because of what they do. Fleshly lust which war against the soul. Desires that appeal to the flesh is what we're talking about, and as in 1 John 2, 15-17, as opposed to desires that appear to the spiritual man. In Galatians chapter 5 and verses 19 through 21, in Galatians 5, 19 to 21, Paul writes about some of these. He says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. These could all be categorized into those three things, flesh, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Abstain from these. The devil walks a lot, a, around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may de devour. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. It's a war then. And these things, like those in Galatians 5, 19-21, war against our soul. We may, as kids, play play war, whether it's we did it with dirt clods back home in the fields. Other one guy at work I worked with said he lost his front tooth because they used to use BB guns. But that's playing. This is real. He, he is seeking to destroy us. It's a real war. And these things, these fleshly lusts, war against us, our very being. And thus, Paul writes, such as in 1 Timothy 1 and 18, wage 
the good warfare. Fleshly lusts seek to undo us. They're described in strong terms, such as, such as in 2 Peter chapter 2, at verses 20 to 22, as pollutions of the world. Who's in favor of pollution? Physically or spiritually, but pollution. Filth. In 1 Timothy 6 and 19, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Men drown themselves in perdition and destruction. Self-drowning. Fleshly lust warring against the soul. They bring into bondage. Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 19. Fleshly lusts are hostile to us. What shall a man profit if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? They war against our reasoning, trying to defy scriptural reasoning against our knowledge, trying to crush it and rationalize sin. Fleshly lusts war against our hope by darkening it, against our conscience wanting to harden and sear it, against our affections by polluting and spoiling and eventually outright replacing them. And thus the instruction is to abstain from these things. Flee. Make no provision for the flesh. Romans chapter 13 and verse 14. How would you abstain from things like that? Think about fleeing sexual immorality. Paul speaks of in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 18. Flee sexual immorality. Oh, I'm not going to go... Out with that woman. I won't go do that, someone says, but I'll watch TV and movies that includes all of that. I'll wear immodest clothing that attracts others' eyes to my body. Is that fleeing sexual immorality? Fleeing sexual immorality? You know, I think about clothing. Clothing was designed by God in the beginning, in Genesis chapter 3 and 21. He designed some clothing to cover their bodies. The fig leaves weren't enough. What He covered with them, them with, covers of course much more than many want to cover today. Because clothing is seen by the world as fashion and style. Some of it is still functional. But the clothing that accentuates curves and forms of the body and reveals parts that God covered with Adam and Eve is that fleeing sexual immorality and that which lends itself to it. The immodest clothing of fashion today gives rise to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. The world says okay and God says no. And Christians should say, I don't want to wear it. And if it's in my face, not by my choice, I'll turn my eyes from it. Abstain from fleshly lusts. It's war against the soul. Flee idolatry, we're told. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 14. Abstain then from society's emphasis and desire for just more and more of this world's goods. 
a greed and a covetousness. And thus instead we want to focus on honorable conduct, faith and fidelity and compassion and love and tenderheartedness, courteousness and kindness, returning blessing for evil and for reviling, which Peter speaks of in his letter. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 22-23. And so not only should we abstain from fleshly lusts because we're sojourners and pilgrims, and we ought not to let this world's fashions and laws be our standard, but we also need to abstain from fleshly lusts because we recognize that they war against our soul and the fruit of them is destruction for eternity. The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. That means sin pays wages. It has payback. Third, the third reason and final reason, he says, back there in Second First Peter 2, 11 and 12, abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. Honorable conduct that abstains from fleshly lust. Why should we abstain from fleshly lust and have honorable conduct and good works? Because what it accomplishes, because what it accomplishes for others. Honorable conduct involves good works. And notice that it is observed in verse 12. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles that when they speak against you, they may by your good works which they observe. Christians are scrutinized. They're watched. And so we're wanting to abstain from fleshly lust not only because we're pilgrims and sojourners and because they war against our souls, but because we want to lead others to Christ. There is initially slander, verse 12, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles that when they speak against you as evildoers, they're speaking evil of you. Someone says, you mean if I do right, people will fault me with wrong? Have you ever tried to think back to the time when you were a kid? Would, that, would you learn that for the first time? I mean, as innocent children, we're brought up thinking if you do the right thing, everybody's going to be happy with you and approve it. And somewhere along the line, you start learning, are you serious? I did the right thing and I got in trouble? Yeah, yeah it's going to happen. You do the right thing and I'm hated? Yeah, yeah, get used to it. Sorry to see the innocence gone, but it's, it's going to be that way. But notice the purpose and the result that comes about eventually, and this is the purpose of it. By your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. The purpose that we want, the accomplishment that ought to come from abstaining from fleshly lusts which war against the soul and having thus our conduct honorable, involved in good works, is that the nations that other people will glorify God in the day of visitation. What is the day of visitation? Some say, well, the day of visitation could be 
the day of final judgment. Well, I know in the final judgment, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess Jesus as Lord. That's true. But I believe based on Luke chapter 1 and verses 77 to 78 and 19 and 44, that the day of visitation is a day of blessing from God. It's a day of salvation when they've turned their hearts in faith and obedience to Him. Jesus talked there in Luke 19 and 44 when He looked at Jerusalem, how that He just wept over them. He said, you didn't know the day of your visitation. What did they not know? They did not know that the Savior had come to rescue them. It was God's visitation. And they didn't know it. But here we're talking about some who will glorify God in the day of visitation. Some will be saved. And what will be one of the catalysts for that? Your abstaining from fleshly lusts and having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles with good works. And so not only abstain from fleshly lusts because you're sojourners and pilgrims, and you're concerned with God's laws. But secondly, abstain from fleshly lusts because you recognize a war against your soul and they will undo you spiritually. And thirdly, abstain from fleshly lusts because of what honorable conduct, good conduct, and good works will accomplish in the lives of others and to the glory of God. Will your conduct bring others to Christ? Will our daily conduct bring others to Christ that they might glorify God in the day of their visitation? Heaven awaits those who are living as sojourners and pilgrims here. It's more than a mindset. It's a way of living. And by living as a sojourner and pilgrim, you can have confidence in your citizenship in heaven and your eternal reward. Heaven awaits those who are abstaining from fleshly lusts in the ongoing battle to the death. And by living as a sojourner, abstaining from fleshly lusts, others will come to glorify God in the day of their visitation. There's three reasons why we ought to abstain from fleshly lusts. From 1 Peter chapter 2 and verses 11 to 12. <coughs> this morning, if you're not a child of God, then will you become one? Having heard the Gospel, will you believe and repent of your sins? That is, change your mind and confess Jesus as Lord in Christ and then be baptized for the remission of your sins? You'll be saved and remain faithful unto death. And if you're not living right as a Christian, then will you make it right with the Lord? We're going to sing a song of invitation to encourage obedience to the Gospel of Christ. Won't you come as we stand and sing?